Please join me in reading our scripture today from 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all again. Uh, we're continuing our series on relationships, relationship boot camp. First week, we talked about assessment. We we're trying to figure out where we were. Last week, I poked everybody in the eye talking about unforgiveness. Hopefully, I've been doing some good work on that, trying to be freed from the past. And today, what I want to talk about is strength, how we talk about strength training in a way that we can actually prepare and get, get strong and get healthy so that our relationships can come and become all that God has intended them to be. This is kind of my sense of humor, I guess. I think it's redeemed mostly, uh, but when I was first, uh, when I first started following Christ in college, I got to the Wesley Foundation at Texas Tech, and uh, after a worship service, they were signing people up for Bible studies, and then I was scanning the list of names of the Bible studies. There was one that was called Naked and Unashamed Bible Study, and I thought, oh, that's for me. Uh, I mean, let's see, let's see where this thing goes. I get there, it, there wasn't, there, no one was naked, but we're talking about from Genesis 2.25, this idea of naked and unashamed about relationships that are healthy and vulnerable and honest and open and what that means for us in our lives. And it's always been a picture for me. It's always been a really powerful image for me because there at the beginning, God meant something when he, had, when he was talking about relationships. God had an idea of what they were supposed to look like. And so it stuck with me as I've, as I've gotten married, as I've gotten into ministry, as we've We've uh, worked with students uh, who were in premarital counseling and all of that. It's always been a pretty powerful image for me. What does it mean for a relationship to be so whole, so healthy, and strive to be what, the, what Genesis says, naked and unashamed? Dr. Gottman is a psychologist and counselor who works with, with, has been working with couples for over 40 years. I think his work... Um, that he's done, especially here in this book called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. I completely recommend this to y'all. Um, it's worth going. It's worth reading together. It's worth, um, it's worth reading on your own. He begins, for me, he paints a picture of what it means to be naked and unashamed from a clinical perspective. And so in, as I was preparing for the sermon, I have this biblical story in my head, and at the same time I have Dr. Gottman talking to me because he said after 40 years uh, uh, 40 years of, of counseling work and studying what makes make marriages last, he found himself at the first half of his career at a place where with 86 to 91% accuracy, he could predict whether a, a, a marriage was going to make it or not based on how they talked to each other and how they argued. Um, and if I, if I happen to rest on you while I'm talking, I'm not talking just at you, okay? So don't get worried. Um, but after listening to a 15-minute conversation, he said, I got good, I got, I got great at, the, at determining whether they were going to make it or not. And he said, but it wasn't enough, because that wasn't my goal of going into to counseling. That wasn't my goal of studying this. My goal was actually to help my, figure out what makes marriages last, how to save and restore marriages. And so 20 years ago or so, he started looking at what makes marriages work. What are those things that are healthy in it? And he began, to, he began to lift up these principles that, he, that, he, um, that him and his wife had been teaching to couples over and over again. He has seven principles since the book, seven principles. 
I want to take this biblical narrative of, of Genesis 2, and I want to take what Dr. Gottman did and kind of smash them together for us today as we look at what it means to be, uh, what it means to uh, strengthen our marriages, or, or how the Bible says, to make them naked, how, the, how we can be naked and unashamed. And so and from the beginning, I want to say um, that I think this, and he even talks about how this applies to other relationships. This, this, can, reply, this can apply, these principles can apply to your ch- how you raise children, how you deal with your parents, how you deal with coworkers and all that other stuff. But I'm going to be focusing on, I'm going to be focusing on sp- spouses and partners, okay? So just so you know, but here, let's, let's, let's orient ourselves with the story here in Genesis 2 as what God meant, what God intended for us. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner or a suitable helper. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is that last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for out of man, this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. What does it mean? To, to, what does it mean? How, what, how do we live into a picture, a picture of that magnitude, a picture of that much hope, a picture of that health and, and, and restoration? How do we lean into it? Gottman has seven principles. I just want to talk about four of them today, okay? So if you have your, if you have your uh, sermon notes, and, you, and, you, and that's something, a way that helps you, you can take these out as we move along. Uh, first of all, Gottman said that to enhance our, um, to, to strengthen our marriages, for them to become all they were supposed to be, for them to, 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 to depict this idea, again, he doesn't say it, I'm, I'm combining it, for them to be naked, to, to, to reflect what this means to be naked and unashamed, we've got to enhance our love maps. Or what he's talking about is we've got to know the one that we're in a relationship with. We've got to know them. For a relationship to grow stronger over the years, you've got to know who they are. So Nikki and I have been married, like, we'll be 22 next year, next January. Um, we, uh, been, we've been together for a long time. Uh, the other month, about two or three months ago, she asked me to reset something on her iTunes account. And she didn't quite remember uh, the password and when that didn't work before, you know, you only have three or four chances to get that right. I went to the security questions, and I was knocking out the easy ones, her mother's maiden name, place where she grew up, or something like that. But then, it, then the one that stumped me was, what was, your, what was your first concert? And I didn't know. I didn't know. After 22 years, I, I would expect that that would be a piece of information that I know. We love music. Uh, we have a, we, our, our Pandora account is built around Natalie Merchant. We share that love and everything else. It really connects to Natalie in some way or we don't play it. So I knew her music. I thought I knew her taste, but I could not get that question. Uh, and I even started desperately going to like Garth Brooks and, and George Strait because she grew up in Dalhart, Texas, and maybe she slummed around in country and western music at one point. You know, I didn't know. So I tried. But when she got back and we had to reset it, I finally said, so what was your first concert? And that became, that became a great conversation starter. And it made me wonder, what else don't I know about her? What else is more to discover about this lovely woman? Here in the story of creation, when, when, it's, all, when it's all set in place, um, God realizes that it's not good for the man to be alone. 
And so what he does is he begins to process and parade all the animals in front of Adam so that he can begin to name and, and actually live out his stewardship, his authority over creation. And as the animals are moving forward, he names them. He categorizes them. It's great. But what he doesn't find at that moment is a suitable helper, someone like him. He's doing all of this work. He's doing through all this stuff, but he doesn't recognize someone that he can know, that he can, he, that he can inv- invest himself in. And that's where I think some of us are. And I think that some of us, some of us were, are now. We are so busy doing our jobs or doing things that we like that we don't know, really know the person that's next to us, that we've said yes to, that we're committing our lives to in a marriage relationship. And, and it's not that you didn't know, because somehow you got her to say yes, or somehow there was enough, you learned enough information to say yes to him. But right now, are you still, are you still growing in your knowledge of who that person is? Here's the thing. Some of us, guys, I think we may know more about our job or our fantasy football league team than we know about our wife. And women, maybe you know more about what your friends are doing on Facebook than you know what's happening day to day in your, your husband's office or vice versa, vice versa. But do we know the person that we're sitting with or are we working off of old information? There's more to who they are than just what we know. They, there are still things to experience. There's, there's things to ask about. There are still nicknames to dig up. There are still pictures to find to make fun of, sort of. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's so much more to who that person is sitting next to you. They are more than you know. Why not spend a lifetime getting to know them, being curious about them? Not only does, that, not only does, it, does it help them feel loved, that person feel loved, but I think at the same time, it helps you pursue them. We've got to enhance our relational maps, our love maps. That's how Gottman says it. But really what it means is you've got to know who they are. There's always something else to learn. There's always something else to learn. So the first practice We've got to enhance our love maps. The second practice is we need to nurture your fondness and admiration of one another. You need to nurture your fondness and admiration of one another. I've recently um, gotten back on Facebook because I was finishing my, my degree and it was distracting. So, but I've recently gotten back on and one new feature of Facebook is the mem- Facebook memories. Do y'all see those come up on your, on your feeds? Facebook junkies, yes, no? Okay, so I've gotten to a point where when I see that little banner for Facebook memories, I really have to pause. I really have to, I really have to make sure that I have time to deal with it because something's coming up. I, I use Facebook as a, as a way of, of, of I mean, it's a, visual, it's a visual diary for me, you know, of what's going on, and it has a lot to do with the kids and stuff that, that are happening. And so I would have to pause because lately, especially, I'm getting like pictures of the kids five, six, seven, nine years ago when they're just absolutely adorable. And I'm like, oh, look at Cannon, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just all the things that come up and, and the memories that the memories that happen. And it just, it's amazing how it how it just roots me. How it just roots me. I, I love, I love their, their ages now, but I love seeing them when they were little. I I, I especially like little bitty ones. I, I love, I love babies. Um, but those memories. Just, it's just like, even though, like, even if I'm on the road or even if I'm away from the house, I feel connected. 
It's when, we, it's when we tap into those memories. It's when we tap into those positive feelings. It's when we tap into, uh, tap into those good times that actually can help strengthen a marriage, even when it may be in trouble. Even when it may be in trouble. In Genesis, when, uh, when after God takes the rib and forms a woman, um, he brings her to Adam. And Adam says this uh, in Genesis 2.23. He says this, um, very eloquent, almost Shakespearean thing. This is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for out of man. This one was taken. But really, really the first human speech, recorded speech ever in the Bible, it's not just poetic. This is a cat call, friends. This is a, this is a cat call. This is him whistling at Eve, um, whistling at Eve and shouting her down. Urban Dictionary calls a cat call. When a guy gives the wort whirl, whistle, as it, or yells baby doll for the purpose of getting attention in hopes for a future hookup. This is usually done out of the window of a car, typically a Pontiac Firebird or Camaro. <laughs> He's whistling because she is like nothing he has ever seen before. She's got attributes that he appreciates. Friends, the person that you've married, the person that you're about to say yes to, or the person that you've been married to, and maybe even right now, you don't know if you even get along. What have you paused? What have you paused instead of um, in letting, pause and let God's grace and forgiveness kind of take hold of you for a second and go, wait a minute, there are things about him, there are things about her that are awesome, that really are awesome, even though I'm mad, I'm so mad at him, I'm, I'm so mad at her. There are things that are about him or her that are awesome. Could you pause and remember that? Could you pause and remember why y'all were even interested in each other in the first place? Could you pause and remember what those things that you've done that just made you feel loved and accepted or that when you really needed him or her, they did and stepped in? And would you build on that? Would you remember those things in a way that would allow you to just take a breath so that, you, so that, uh, so that the argument or maybe the problem that's, that, that you're facing right now doesn't get out of hand? Would you, would you build into each other's emotional bank account by, dip, by, by going back to the past and taking those good thoughts and bringing them forward? That's what Gottman would ask us to do, and I think that's what, that's what Adam, we see Adam doing. He, he, he looks at her, he, he celebrates her, celebrates her, and they're able to move forward. Um, one post, one Facebook memory that, that Nikki just brought up um, uh, a couple of days ago was for Valentine's Day, and she um, she had this picture of us sitting by our fire pit in Alabama, and we, we, had a, we had this big fire ring about 300 yards from our house, and we would take the AT&T remote device out there, string up, the, wire up the TV, and we would have the Walking Dead watch parties out there in the middle of our woods. <laughs> I, I maybe, I, you know, don't judge me, okay, because some of y'all watch Games of Thrones, um, but... <laughs> We would go out there and watch. We'd go out there, and it was awesome because the dog would bark on the neighbor's house, and it would just scare us to death. It was great. It was great. But she has a picture of us. We both have our machetes, and she talks about how I would protect her. I would protect her in the apocalypse, and isn't that great? That's how she says Happy Valentine's Day to me. It's an awesome memory that that moves us forward. Um, and part of that part of that picture is our big our big old firing. It's about a twenty foot firing. We had some gorgeous fires in there. And here's here's where I'm going with this. Some of our relationships are like fires. Some of them are burning great right now. They're burning hot, 
It's awesome. They're burning so hot, you're going to burn the neighbor's house down, you know? you got to tamp that thing down. Maybe, you know, I don't say tamp it down, but it's burning, right? Others have burnt down, but they're giving heat, they're giving light. You're able to cook off it, you're able to feed, you're able to nurture that family around it. Others of our relationships, maybe, that's died down, maybe it's covered with inches of, of white ash, and you think there's no hope. Maybe you think it's even gone. But underneath, underneath that ash are coals. There are coals there that if you would blow on by remembering things that you appreciate and celebrate about your spouse, could be nurtured back into a fire, to a fire that could heal and restore and give light again. That's what memories do. When we remember the good things about our, our spouses, about what brought us together, especially from the beginning, it helps move us forward to find a new creative solution for the future. We've got, to, we've got to nurture our fondness and admiration for each other. And then for your note takers, I'm going to practice four, then I'll be back to practice three. So new, new three is we've got to let your partner influence you. You need to let your par- partner influence you. Uh, Gottman tells a story about a guy named Jeremy who's going to buy a new car, a new Honda Coupe from his friend Phil. He's got 300 miles on it, but he just got transferred overseas, and so he's selling his car. It's going to be a great deal and as they're talking about it, Jeremy goes, hey, I think I want it, but I'm, I, need to make sure, I need to go get an inspection on it. And Phil goes, what, you don't trust me? And he goes, no, it's not that. It's just that I promised my wife before uh, we would make a major purchase like this, especially a car, I would get it inspected. And he's like, what? You're going to listen to your wife about how to buy a car? And he goes, uh, yeah, because that's what she's asked me to do. That's how we make decisions together. Um, he ended up taking it to the mechanic, found out that there was, that it needed suspension work on it that was not going to make that new, that deal on that new car as attractive or even financially feasible as it, as it worked out. And now all the women in the room, please resist poking your husband right now, okay? <laughs> but Jeremy had gotten to a point in his marriage where he would listen to his spouse. We need to listen to each other. We need to allow the gifts and skills and experiences and desires and wishes of our partner influence the things that we do because they are there to help us live and do life together. Just like Adam and Eve, when he says they're bone in my bone and flesh in my flesh, he's using the masculine and feminine um, participles on it to, to describe how it's different, how they're different and yet how they're the same. And also uh, what we have another clue about this, about who they are um, in, in Genesis 1:26, when God says, "Let us create males and females in our image, in our own image," and God created a male and female, so that somehow God is so big and so much other than who we are that it takes both male and female to represent the characteristics of God. We are equally representative of the nature of God, and it takes both of us, both sexes, to do it. Adam and Eve learned how to depend on each other. Adam and Eve were equals who were standing with each other. Kinegdo, great Hebrew word that you may, never, you may never hear again, but this idea of suitable, this suitable word is actually meaning someone who is like or equal to me. And then you put suitable helper that you hear in the, in the scripture. When you put, helper is ezer, and helper really is too weak for the word. E-Z-E-R. It's too weak because it's not a helper. It's actually a defender. Someone who saves another from danger or harm. Ezra, for the rest of Scripture, is used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit to protect Israel through God acting for her 
in the Old Testament. Ezra is someone not a, a suitable, not a suitable helper, but a suitable defender, a suitable warrior to stand along with and to fight and to live life out with. You're with me right now? This is a princess warrior. I mean, she is the total package. She's good looking and she knows how to wield a sword. She's someone that can stand with Adam with whatever they face together. If he is able, and he is, if he's able to recognize that she is just like him, but in a much better package. They're going to stand together. And so where are y'all in your relationship? Where are you in a place? Can you honor and respect each other? Do you, and, and I know that there are differences. I mean, the differences that attracted us to each other are the same differences that drive us crazy. But where are y'all in a place? Are you a place where you can hear the other person's opinions and perspective and experiences and desires? Or are you tuning them out? Uh, tuning them out and making forward, um, and tuning them out when it comes to decisions on how you spend your money or how you raise your kids or, or where you're going on holidays or that next job that's taking place. The one thing I'd say is, the one thing I'd, I'd just ask is learn to listen to each other. Learn to take that perspective in. But take it in a sense of like, we're going to gather as much information as we can because we're doing this together. And so if we're doing it together, what's, what are, you know, what's the pros and what's the cons and, and how do we make the best choice for what's next? Because if it works out great and if it doesn't, then we're still going to need each other to help fix it and then move forward. You've got to allow your spouse to influence them. You have to, you have to respect them for the equal and the, and the strength that they have to offer. Guys, um, we, we, Gottman says that 80% of us would struggle with this more than women. 80% of men struggle this more than with women. Uh, how do we, how do we listen? How do we, how do we take this person that God has created to, um, created to help inform and shape our decisions to move forward? And, you know, and I know that there's, I know that there are strong women out there too. I married one. And there are times that I have to, and there are times that I want to be heard as well. How do y'all work together? To keep moving forward, how do you allow your spouse to influence um, influence you in the decisions y'all are making? I have been ignoring the questions that I have on the notes, but the the um, the, the way that I phrase this question for you to ask yourself is: How can you stand with your partner in the decisions y'all are y'all are facing right now? And really, all you can do, I, I can't help you with the decisions y'all have made, but moving forward, the decisions: How can you stand with your partner on the decisions you're making right now? Um, we have, a, um, we have a friend who is um, very self-sufficient. Um, he's an older gentleman who, he, he can do it all. Um, he, he's, he's, he's hardworking, he's intelligent, um, he, he's normally right. But he has learned over the last 10 years in his marriage to listen to his wife. And, and this is how I know that he's listening to her because he'll come up with statements. When he, when he says, I'm gonna do something, you know that he's making the decision. But then when you hear him say, she and I have decided, he normally says it like this, she and I have decided, means he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily want the advice or the perspective, but he's taking it. I would suggest you doing it with more of a smile. <laughs> but I'd suggest you listen. Listen to each other so that y'all can make decisions together. And then the last point that I'd make, the last practice that I think Gottman offers that helps us live into this, this poetic description of, um, that Adam and Eve were in, that God intended for us, is you've got to learn to lean towards each other. We've got to learn to lean towards each other. 
Niggy ended up taking um, improv comedy classes when we were in Dallas and in Kansas, in Kansas City, um, and it was always fun to watch her and her troupe get up and, and do stuff. One of the, one of the basic uh, principles of improv comedy is the yes and, so that no matter what happens on stage, no matter what comes up, your role, your job in a, in a scene is to say yes and to your partner or partners. So if they come up with the most outrageous thing in the world, you need to say yes and then learn how to build on it, okay? And it leads you into really, really funny situations. I mean, it's, it's what Will Ferrell does. It's what, um, it's, it's what some of our favorite comedians do. Um, you know, I'm forgetting, um, I'm, for, I'm forgetting The Office and, and, and whoever. The, you see those guys who just kind of, they start with a scene and then they yes and each other until we're laughing our guts out, right? But that's the principle of yet. That's the principle. The first principle of improv comedy is to say yes and. I want to suggest that our wedding vows are um, really a principle of the yes and. Our wedding vows are, are, are really when we say I'll, I'll love you and stay with you no matter through thick and thin, good and bad, hot and cold, well and sick. What we're really saying to each other is yes and. And even the fact you know it may be marriage does uh, marriage has a lot more to do with improv comedy than we think. Because the situations that we get into, right? But, but no matter what happens, what I want us to do and what I, what I hope for my relationship and what I hope for y'all's relationship is that y'all can with grace and with kindness and with hope say yes and to each other so that you can tackle, so that you can accomplish, so that you can become all God has you to do, uh, God, all God has you to be. Yes and. Uh, I love that the um, I love that the wedding the wedding vows are uh, we, we'd seen at one point through marriages where the, the people would say I do, but now if you if you um, if you if you go to a wedding you actually have the preacher to say it's not I do but it's I will, because with yes and we're saying I will not only now but I'm going to continue to work with you I'm going to continue to make this scene great I'm going to continue to make sure that you shine in this you you shine in this moment I'm going to continue to support you whatever it takes. Whatever we need to do, yes, and then some. We've got to learn how to, and this is what got me to think, we've got to learn how to turn into each other, lean into each other, and be there for each other. This is something that not only, I think, reduces blood pressure, but I think it also says to them, no matter what, I'm for you. I'm for you. The, the, way, the, the, the way that Genesis talked about it was it said, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or, and cling to his wife. This idea of cleaving, to cleave. It's like Wesley from The Princess Bride, you know? Um, it's, it, what, what does that word even mean? It means to pursue. It means to constantly, uh, constantly go after. It means to hold tight. It means that I'm going uh, to, I'm growing, I'm going to grow, I've grown in a place where I, I need you. I need you. Turn towards each other. When things hit, don't let it blow you apart. But, but fight the urge to turn your backs to each other and lean in and say, okay, this stinks. I'm hurt. I don't like this. I'm afraid. I don't think we've got enough to make it. But lean into each other and say, but whatever it is, yes and. Yes and. How do we get, how do we get out? By saying yes and to each other. The question that I laid, I laid out here was, how can you say yes and to your partner? Breathe. And think about that the next time something comes up. Um, I'm running late, but I did offer 
um, six steps that uh, Gottman has recommended to couples to uh, recommended couples to practice to help nurture these principles. Partings before you leave, make sure you know about what's going on in your partner's day. When you come back, six-second hug rule. Really embrace. Almost make it awkward. It, almost make it awkward, but really embrace and then debrief before you go to sleep. Admiration, appreciation. Make sure you're communicating that to each other at least once a day. You, there's something good about what your spouse is doing. Say it. If you got to text it at first, text it. But then get to a point where you can look him or her in the eye and say it. Affection. Show physical affection. A hug. Something. You know, just holding their hand and just saying, "I love you." Weekly date nights. You got to get out. Just the two of you. Even if it's running to Sam's and doing grocery shopping while the kids are being watched by somebody. Nikki and I made a lot of dates work going to Sam's. It was awesome. You want a hot dog, baby? I'll even give you two. It's, it's great. <laughs> but then weekly, and then finally, State of the Union meetings where you're talking about your relationship this week. You got to, and here's the thing. I know y'all have got issues. I know we all have issues that can come up. Focus on this week. Stay on this week. Talk about it out. Talk about how you, talk, bring up some other ways that you've appreciated them. When, if there's something you've done wrong, own it and clean the, clear the air, um, but, then, and then, but then ask this question, what can I do to make you feel loved this coming week? What can I do? What, it's my responsibility as, as a husband to Nikki. What can I do to make her feel loved this week? That's the question, not what she can do for me, but turn it around, what can I do for her? Our hope for this relationship series is we want the, the relationships and marriages in, in, uh, in, in Acts 2 to be healthy and strong and saved. We're here with you. Um, we're not, we're not going to just do this and then leave, but can practice with us. Let's put this stuff into practice so that God can begin to sow goodness and hope and restoration in our, in our marriages again and let that trickle into our relationships with our kids and, our, and, and at work or school or wherever, wherever it is that we find you. But remember as you do this, and as scary as it is, and even if you haven't ever said anything to anybody yet, we're here for you. Not only Mark and Andy and I and the staff, uh, but there are people in this pew that are here for you. And if, if they knew how they could help you, if they knew how they could help your marriage, I can't imagine anyone here not saying, maybe they say, I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the next step is, but, but we're here for you. So let's do that. Let's begin to practice things. Let's begin to practice these positive steps with each other so that God can get us unstuck, so that God can move us forward, so that God can, can allow our relationships to, to, to live out this expression, this poetic description, there, where we are naked and unashamed, where we're open, we're honest, we're healthy, we're holy in, and have nothing to hide.